everybody, you're listening to the Woke Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk, and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to our episode zero on safety and consent in rope before attempting it. Find it at the top of our Fat Life page, Rope Podcast. We have been rope partners for five years with Maya as the bottom and myself, Fox, as the rigger. We live in Bangkok, where currently we're having monsoon-level rain, but hopefully the studio is soundproof enough that you won't hear that too much today. And we love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. Today's episode is sponsored by Friction Live. Friction Live offers a variety of king classes, mostly centered around rope and things you can do with your rope. And you can follow along from the comfort of your own couch. Uh, and you can either view the classes live or view the recordings after in the two weeks after the event. You can find everything about them at frictionlive.ca. So today, um, our episode is on how we manage rope in the context of our real lives. Because, folks, not many of us are lucky enough to live a life of full-time rope, right? Uh, I think that's very true. We would love to live in a fantasy land where we can just do rope all day and nothing else and not have to work, not have to take care of our families. I mean, to be fair, I got pretty close to that recently. I do spend a lot of time um, doing rope, uh, more than I spend doing work. But still, life is a thing. And for most of us, including our dear listeners, we have to manage with all the things in our lives that cut into our rope time. <laughs> yeah. And so we wanted to do um, an episode to explore some of those real world obstacles, um, their impact and how we might overcome or manage them. Yeah. And I think it's important both to recognize those challenges and not minimize them, but also keep a positive attitude and try to find ways to work around them. I think it's also worth noting that not everybody does want to do a life of rope full time. So it's about fitting in rope where it works for you in your life and managing around those obstacles. That's a really good point, Maya. So let's start with space. So what do we mean by space? Is that practicing? The great void between the stars where no one can hear you scream. (laughs) Okay, so what we're thinking here is more, do you have the space to practice? What kind of space do you do your rope in at home? All right. So I guess some people are going to be living in places that are smaller. Uh, They might have just a bedroom in a dorm or something like that. They might have other people they live with be them uh, roommates or family and so on. So they might have a limited access to space to do their rope in, right? That's what we're talking about, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. Okay. Um, I guess one thing you can try to do is either do things like Ichinawa or more close and intimate tying then because that takes less space and a giant suspension, I suppose. Yeah, and being careful how you fling your rope around, I think, is a relevant point there, having watched you and other riggers many times. Yeah, yeah, if you don't want to destroy your living room by, like, pulling the TV down, maybe don't do the big throws like they do in the performances. Yeah. 
Um, there's also the possibility uh, for some of us to use isolated outdoor spaces. So if there's somewhere you can go where there's not going to be people around, maybe you can practice your rope outdoors, depending on the weather, not so yeah. much in the monsoon season. <laughs> right now, we don't, want, we don't want to be doing rope outdoors. Although with the nylon, you never know. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> um, in non-pandemic or socially isolated times, um, for some lucky people, not everybody, there are rope events, rope spaces, or kink spaces or dungeons that you might be able to go to. And there's definitely some people who only ever do rope at events, right? They don't yep. really do it in their own home or whatever. Yeah, um, or you might make some rope friends um, and perhaps someone else, your partner, your rope partner, or a rope friend has a bit more space where you can, you know, practice together. Okay, that's really good. What about if you have a home, but you don't want or can't afford to dedicate a whole room to your rope? Where can you do Which I'd say is a lot of people. <laughs> um, so then it's about multi-purposing a room. So um, maybe you can move sofa or furnitures around in your uh, living room or lounge. Um, have like a nice carpet or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, or what I think is really common is people doing rope on their bed. Mm. So if you've ever seen uh, our photos on our FedLife profiles, above our bed, we have, well, essentially a full-on suspension a frame, frame. Yeah. built into the bed. And that is a very good uh, use of space because we live in a fairly small studio. Yeah, although... <laughs> You have also got an entire rope studio as well. Yes, in addition um, to. Which we'll talk about later. All right. So if you're sharing space, I think it can be harder. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll talk about kids later on. Um, but you need privacy, or most of us need privacy or want privacy to do rope. Yeah. Um, but again, most of us have a bedroom. Um, mm -hmm. It's rare that we share a bedroom apart from with a romantic partner. Um, and so the suggestion here is to get a lock on your door and do your rope at night um, after bedtime because that's when people are less likely to come into your room. That makes sense. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. We want to continue making this podcast for you for a long time. And to do that, we need your support. Please go to ropepodcast.com to buy rope video lessons from experts so we get a small commission on your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, a really great way to help us is donating on Patreon. A one-time amount or a monthly pledge that can be as little as the cost of your morning coffee makes a big difference to us. And you will gain cool perks like behind-the-scenes photos and the ability to vote on future podcast topics. Go support us on ropepodcast.com because you love rope too. What about if we want to do suspensions, Maya? Uh, suspensions are more challenging because you need a hard point of some kind. Mm -hmm. And that needs to be a safe hard point. Yeah. Um, because otherwise you're going to injure your bottom, which we don't um, support. We like to Slash keep okay. bring the house down. Yeah. Okay. Also that. Um, so there, it depends whether you own it or not. So if you own it, um, or if you have your landlord's permission, you might be able to drill into walls or beams. Again, we strongly suggest that you get advice from someone competent on this because we've seen a lot of suspension points where... We were less uh, excited to use them. Yeah, we, 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 we make a considered risk assessment of the points that we... There's a very good group on FetLife called Above the Ring where you can get some input on your uh, 
hard point building project. And also, it's never a bad idea to have a professional help with installing absolutely. it. Absolutely. And then there's the frame. So you can have frames that are folded or taken apart. So mm -hmm. you can get them out and put them away. Okay, pretty good. What about if I want to have suspension points, but I want to have an alibi for when family <laughs> visits and camouflage them into something else? So um, this is harder, but we've seen all kinds of things here. So plant pots are very common, although mm -hmm. that is a lot harder in the middle of a room. I um, think I could pull it off. <laughs> Plants hanging from the ceiling really for no reason. Randomly. I mean, honestly, in that case, you're better off just leaving it because mm. people don't look up. Um, hammocks are common outside, um, art things. So we have a friend who has a cage, um, that she tips on her side and puts a mirror in and calls it art when she's uh, got vanilla friends over. You might be able yeah, to do something funny, like that. It? I've also read about someone who has a system where they can hide their hard points on the ceiling into light fixtures for when oh, people wow. visit. That's, that's super fancy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So there's some ideas on handling space. Not an easy one, but it depends really on the kind of work that you want to do mm. um, and there's some compromises there so what's next on our potential real world obstacles what about money Maya mm. do you, would you say that rope is something that costs money I think that there is an initial investment that you're probably going to end up making in a rope kit okay um, so it, it depends on the type of rope you want you can certainly use relatively cheap Uh, cotton rope to start practicing. Mm -hmm. um, Which is what you did, right? Yep, that's what I did. I went to the Thai market with friends and we bought some, well, we bought all kinds of not very good quality uh, cotton Random ropes. bits and pieces. Yeah, yep, which you tied with early on. Yeah, um, and I remember when we had our, we hosted our first rope jam, like it was such a mishmash of different kinds and bits of rope. There was yep. quite funny. Yeah, and those have been handed on to other people and been used in all kinds of ways. So there's there's some cheaper ways to start your practice. But once you're tying people regularly, you're probably going to need to invest in some kind of rope kit. Mm. Um, because it's going to go on your bottom skin. Um, so that's a key point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think then you can be looking, if I, if I look at the rope kits I built. Which I, are quite comprehensive. I was going to say that. Like, how much rope do you have in I those? usually have 18 coils. Yeah, so that's quite a lot of rope. So just for the rope, I would be looking at about 300 US dollars for the quality of rope I like to use. Yeah. Uh, but keep in mind that is a kit that you can use probably for years, depending on what type of fiber it is. If you like jute, jute tends to get used up quicker than that. Especially if you're suspending. Yeah, you might need to replace your jute every six to 12 months, depending on what you're doing with it. But hemp, man, I, I just retired my very first hemp kit after more than six years of using it. And honestly, it was still plenty usable. Yeah, and you can retire rope from suspension to floor work. Hmm. Um, Or in my case, what I did is I retired it from suspension to using it in like contraptions and other tying purposes and tying people. But you can also reuse it like if you've got bamboo constructions you make as part of your rope or whatever you can use that retired rope for that as long as it's still strong enough yeah and i think i would see putting a rope kit together as an investment oh um, so much so so it's not like um something like needles where you have to buy the needles every time your rope is going to be reusable for a really long time mm. and also it's true that riggers tend to like having their own rope kit but 
in the absolute, there's nothing wrong with putting money together with a bunch of other people and having a communal rope kit if it's too expensive to have your own, at least to start with. Yeah, and some jams will have rope that you can use to practice with at first to see mm-hmm. if you like um, see if you like rope. As a bottom, I also have my own rope kit um, because sometimes wickers come to Thailand and they don't have rope kits and I'm keen to... Keen to make sure that I'm able to tie with them still. Yeah, and another reason why bottoms might want to have their own rope is they enjoy knowing where the rope's been. Absolutely, absolutely. So in terms of a core kit, you you really need some rope and a cutting tool. The cutting tool I would see as yeah. critical. Not not optional, and it's not just a pair of, of scissors, kitchen scissors. Yeah. You get like or nail scissors, <laughs> some proper safety shears or yes. a safety hook or whatever you know you can use, and will actually cut through the rope quickly when you need it to without cutting through the person. Exactly. The but you can use other household items to supplement your rope kit. Like um, a cucumber? Like a scarf or a blindfold, something like that. Um, so there's flexibility there. Mm-hmm. And you don't need the kind of kit that Fox has and that I have, um, especially to start with. So that's a kit which is really rare. You use all 18 coils. It has been known, <laughs> um, but that's for suspension. Sometimes if there's more than one person. Uh, so what a full kit is, is really going to differ for different people and depending on what you're going to tie. Yeah, the type of play you like. And honestly, there's nothing wrong with just having a couple of coils you can bring with you everywhere and then you do a more Ichinawa type yeah. uh, play. And that is super easy and quite cheap. So that's probably the first place you're going to spend money in rope. But there mm-hmm. are some other places, perhaps bit, some of them a bit more optional. Some of them may or may not happen. So what are they? Well, if you want to travel to rope events, you have your transportation costs. So that could be gas if you're driving yourself. That could be like plane tickets, bus tickets, uh, whatever the case may be. Then you might need to pay a ticket for the event itself if the event is not free. Uh, you might need to stay overnight. So hotel costs are a thing. Uh, so yeah, if your rope practice is mostly centered around conventions and events, and that's a budget in and of itself. Yeah. Ironically, we'd love to go to events and would happily put money towards them uh, as a priority, and we can't because we live... We don't really have events like that. I mean, we have local events, but they are local and yeah. money is not the issue there. Singapore, Singapore might be the next uh, place once COVID opens up. Um, so instead of um, those kind of bigger events, maybe you can start your own small circle of people um, to do private ties with. Yeah, you can participate in building a more local community so you don't have to travel as much to the rope. Um, and the episode that we did with Ebby McNaughty um, and some of her uh, links and resources help to suggest how you might create those communities. Hmm. Then another thing that can end up being costly in rope bondage is getting your rope education. So how do we do that? Well, in-person teaching is really good because you have a teacher supervising you and giving you direct feedback, but private lessons with an in-person teacher can be really expensive and that's not something everyone is going to be able to afford. Always available, indeed. Uh, so what's a, an, a more affordable, uh, realistic option? Definitely nowadays, online teaching, which is mostly video-based, is uh, more affordable. And you can find a good option for that on ropepodcast.com. Uh, you can look into books, but books are not the easiest way 
to learn rope, I would say. But another thing you can do, honestly, is once you've got an education on the safety basics and you feel comfortable that you know how to do things with a good eye to risk management, then you can develop your own style rather than learning someone else's and that will save you a lot on classes and so on. You just like make up your stuff and like get it out there. Okay. Focus on those safety basics. First. Yeah, definitely do learn the safety basics from people who know what they're doing. Like yeah. That one is not optional. Yeah. You do have to learn that. Yeah. Then there's another course, which I think people don't always consider. Uh, um, yeah, and it can be the, by far the biggest one in this list, actually. Yeah. Uh, and that would be healthcare if you have an injury, if yeah. things go wrong. Depending on what country you live in, healthcare costs can be really high. Exactly. Um, and it's something that people don't always plan for in advance, uh, but it, it happens. People get injured. And so you ha have to think about beforehand, how are you going to share costs? And that cost might be of the healthcare itself, or what happens if one of you can't work because you have an injury? Yeah, yeah, that is definitely one of the less fun parts of rope, but it's much better to have that conversation before the accident happens and when the person's legs broken and they can go to work. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it might mean being a bit more conservative in your play. Um, yeah. Or it might mean having that grown-up conversation in advance. But don't skip it because it probably won't happen, but it could happen. Yeah. And if it does... You break it, you buy it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. So talking of health issues, this can be another factor um, that we bring to our vote. Oh, so our health state mm. as opposed to accidents just how, exactly. how we are health-wise so some of us come broken oh sweetie mm -hmm. um we and we might you, have though. temporary or permanent uh challenges yeah uh, emotional be... mental physical yeah um and what we suggest here is that you understand yourself as mm. much as possible and remember it's not just bottoms that have these challenges and issues um, tops have them too. Uh, so if you are, um, uh, top with mental health problems, then you might want to communicate to that yeah. to your bottom. I think it's, uh, Raven Caldera who calls it map your minefield. Okay. And I like that expression. Like, first of all, learn about yourself, be self-aware of what issues you bring to the table and then learn how to communicate those issues to your partners because Honestly, part of valid consent is giving other people the right information to base their decisions on. Absolutely. But we would also strongly say, don't let your health issues uh, stop you from doing well. Yeah. In fact, pretty much everyone comes with them in one shape or another. Uh, they really do. They really do. Um, our Diverse Bodies episode with Alexiel talks mm -hmm. about mental, emotional, physical health issues. Um, and she talks about different workarounds. Uh, there are ways for everybody to do rope. Absolutely. And I think it's very useful to have a cooperative attitude towards that when you come together with people to do rope. Put your heads together, lab some creative solutions to whatever challenges there might be. And yeah, usually you can work something out. Just don't try to copy other people's rope because other people's rope is not necessarily going to work for you. Yeah. Um, so another uh, challenge, I would say, is um, rope and children. So we don't feel comfortable. It's a comfortable. very cute challenge, though. Yeah, but we don't feel comfortable doing our rope around children. 
No, which is a choice, definitely. But no, I wouldn't be doing rope around children, that's for sure. So there are implications of that. So what are they? Well, if you live with children, if you're a parent or you have young siblings or whatever, then that means you might need to hide your rope, yeah. uh, not let the children see it. Uh, you might lock it somewhere where you're pretty confident the kids are not going to find it. Because honestly, like if your kids or kids in general find a bunch of rope and some sharp cutting tools, they could very easily injure themselves with it. So that's a thing. Yeah, yeah. And what other decisions does having children uh, lead to for, for us or for others? Well, there's the question of, are you going to talk to the kids about your rope practice? And if you do choose to talk to them about it, how are you going to frame it? How are you going to present it? What are you going to say and not say? And are you going to lie? Because I think that's mm. a challenge around children. Like, how do you... How do you manage telling the truth and keeping your integrity with not exposing them to things that are inappropriate for their age? Yeah, that is definitely a challenge you have to face as a parent. And kids also um, mean that you have less time. Yeah, especially if you have full custody of your children, then it might be a challenge to juggle the schedule and make room for your rope. Absolutely. All right. Uh, what about partners, Maya? So... Um, We've, we've talked about finding work partners, but if you don't have a top or you don't have a bottom, then it, it's challenging because for most of us, again, apart from those who self-tie, which is an option uh, if you're a bottom and you don't have a top, uh, for most of us, we need another person to do rope. Mm -hmm. um, so one of the things that you can do is try and keep yourself practicing or in shape for rope while you try and meet rope partners. Okay, interesting. Can you give some examples of how you would do that, Maya? So as a bottom, it might be about educating yourself. So um, watching videos about rope performances, uh, educating yourself about how rope works, um, and also moving your body in ways that emulate rope experiences. So that might be about yoga, about stretching, about uh, strengthening your body. That That's really more up to you to decide. But it gives you something to do to keep your rope muscles, as it were, hmm. going. Um, and the same if you're a top without a bottom. There you can uh, tie furniture, chairs. Oh, I spent so much time tying furniture in my first year you of did, learning. And well. you tied uh, that big water bottle as well hmm. when you were suspending for the first time. Um, you can also, and I strongly uh, emphasize this, educate yourself in other ways as a top around soft skills. So communication, uh, how you interact, connection. There's lots of other ways to educate yourself as well as mm. um, the skills of tying. So the non-rope parts of rope. Yeah. Which are so important. Yeah. So there's still things that you can do to further your ropiness, even if um, you don't have a partner. But there's also events um, and you can attend those and look for partners more proactively. That makes sense. What about the other people in your life? So uh, friends, partners, family, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So we talked a bit about how society looks about rope, looks on rope. Um, and there are for sure challenges with that. And sometimes we can become desensitized to how strange um, the vanilla or the, the non... The default, the default society. World, yeah, the default world sees rope. 
Okay, so what can we do to manage that and our interactions with that society at large? Well, you don't have to tell everyone everything. Uh, just okay. like you don't tell everyone about, I don't know, your Magic the Gathering hobby. You definitely um, do not. Not if you want to go on a second date ever. <laughs> um, if you, you, We don't tell everybody everything. Um, mm. And sometimes I think there is a evangelical aspect to rope like we want to tell everyone about it because it's interesting and cool and we love it but actually you don't tell everyone about every hobby you do um and you need to choose wisely who you share your hobby with okay what about if it's your romantic partner then what would you want to do to handle that it really depends if they're kinky and into it or not okay. um if they're not into it um i think there's a book um by the ethical slot people I'll try and find it which is about helping explaining kink to non-kink people um help the partner to try and understand it's a hobby so um maybe not quite like knitting but that kind of thing <laughs> um what I think there can be a challenge around is the intimacy piece if you're not um polyamorous or consensually non-monogamous if you say well I'm going off to tie someone um of the gender that I'm sexually attracted to. And I'm going to be touching their boobs a lot, but it's just to tie your chest harness, don't worry. It's like sweetie. knitting. It's not, yeah. I'm just but, knitting, but with their breasts. They might not feel okay with that. So again, uh, and we talk about this a lot, communication, agreements, discuss what is and isn't okay. Hmm. Maybe they'll be okay trying it themselves um, to yeah. help you. Um, or they might honestly be happy that you have other people to do your hobby with so they can do their football night down the pub. Okay, that makes sense. Like, yeah, run along, run along. I'll, I'll, I'll find ways to. <laughs> so basically, communication and talking with the people who are important to you and be a bit more judicious in the way you communicate with people who are in your wider circle. Mm -hmm. And then finally, Maya, the plague of the modern times, not having enough time on our hands. Yeah. Um, so for some of us, um, we don't have time to do all the work we want to do. We mm -hmm. have all these pesky commitments like work, children, um, other hobbies, partners. There's, there's lots of things we all have going on. So step one, buy all the ropes. Step two, once you have all the rope, quit your job and then you have time to do rope. <laughs> Is that the road to success? There's some prioritization, I think, um, in terms of you can't do rope with all the people all the time. Uh, and that's sad. Well, I mean, yeah, um, you need to manage your work partners. Mm -hmm. uh, they're going to have their own schedules, their own time. Uh, juggling can be stressful. I will say our lives seem to be dictated by the schedules of a, a lot of other people to fit them in to lives. And if you mm -hmm. have two partners doing that, then it's even more complicated. If your partner, work partners have partners, yeah, then that's need, more complicated. You need to have really good calendars or mind map software or whatever you use to manage your schedule then. Yeah. And you have to decide, um, okay, so I have some long-term consistent partners versus chasing the new shiny hmm. person and tying lots of new people. Yeah. Okay. And sometimes you might not have enough time to do that amazing four hour scene you've been fantasizing about and you have to make do with a 30 minute rope quickie on your lunch break, but it's honestly much better than nothing. And also for most people, I think 30 minutes isn't necessarily <laughs> a quickie. <laughs> so context is also important and Absolutely. expectations. I think that's kind of the message we're trying to send out today, Maya, is do what works for you and look, have a realistic, pragmatic look at your life 
and see what you can do with what you've got. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, one on the one hand, we might want to live in this fantasy kinky paradise where all we do is wrong, but we it's not a bad thing to have other things in your life. Balance is a thing, I guess. Yeah, and compromising, accepting, mm. and being creative uh, around the way we enjoy our rope kink um, in a world that doesn't always welcome it and isn't always built for it um, is critical. Mm. I think as long as we don't have too many expectations mm. and we're open to opportunities, then there are so many ways to have great times with rope. Yeah, I would very much agree. Um, and understanding what you need or want from your rope is the, the great place to start. All right. So maybe we can ask our listeners today to tell us in the episode comments, where does the real world interact with your rope? And how do you deal with this? Tell us in the comments. Very interesting. So that's all from us at The Rope Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and come friend us on our FedLife page, Rope Podcast. If you have a question related to rope, we'd love to answer it in one of our future episodes. Drop us a message on FedLife. If you like this podcast and you would enjoy hearing more episodes of it, find all the ways to support us on our website, ropepodcast.com. In particular, please consider supporting us directly on our Patreon page. Thanks for listening. And have fun tying.